to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this very basement, which is full of baseball caps brimming with mice, scarecrows that scare things besides crows, a big bowl of eyeballs that you have to close your eyes and put your hand into, and the overall idea of regret. My name is Mikey McCaller. I'm Roxy Polk. Roxy, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest things that happened to us this week. What went down, Rox, in your life outside the scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? So do you like pizza, Mikey? I love pizza. So I decided to do an experiment with the pizza place by my place and just order some uh, type of pizza I've never had before because I love margarita pizza, but this place doesn't have margarita. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how close can I get to constructing one? <laughs> okay. Myself through like <laughs> the toppings. Lego builder idea of ordering pizza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did that and then ordered just a standard like Hawaiian pizza because I was like, if I don't like this one, I usually like Hawaiian. It'll probably be okay. Uh Got the pizzas. The one I customized was like maybe one of the best like delivery pizzas I've ever had. Oh. But then the other one that should have been pretty solid was actually pretty gross. Maybe one of the grossest pizzas I've ever had. What happened? It's (laughs) it's just ham and pineapple, right? I don't know. Maybe it was just like the difference between the one that was really good and this one was just like okay that I was like, oh, I wish I'd just gotten two of the other one. Mm -hmm. Now I have to eat all of this by myself because I'm choosing to. (laughs) Do you think that in a... I think I can make this work. In a Toy Story kind of way, the Hawaiian pizza that was once your favorite was so jealous of your new favorite that it got full of spite and you could taste the spite in your pizza. You know, that would make a lot of sense. It actually makes way more sense. I think that is what happened, Mikey. Uh Honestly, here, here's the thing with Toy Story. (laughs) Roxy, I've said this for years. Okay. Okay. (laughs) The logic is so fucked up, right? Why are these toys alive and not like Andy's board games, right? His board yeah, games that's a are good question. Why aren't his books alive? Why isn't his lamp alive? And if everything is alive, why would not his pizza be alive? Why is Andy yeah. not killing and eating his most beloved friends whenever he eats pizza? Is the threshold like, you know, can you hug it? Can you make it move around and be like, I'm telling a story with this toy and a board game you can't do that and a book you can't do that? I could see that. I could see that. I, I mean, if the is that it? If the criteria is, does a child love it, then absolutely. It doesn't have like a alive. face, I guess. If it's the child's love that makes it come alive, Roxy, that pizza's alive. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, I think that's got to be the rule, right? That's got to be it. it <sighs> or no, because toys in the factory in one of the movies. Never mind. We're, we're just talking about <laughs> Toy Story rules. Instead, I'd rather talk about what made... You super scared this week, Mikey. Roxy, I pulled a muscle in my back. No, no. Maybe we should talk about Toy Story. That sounds rough. I mean, it doesn't sound that scary, but here's the thing. In between all of the things that are kind of going wrong with my body, I think I'm like, my body just isn't what it used to be. I mean, I think about how like, how sick I get when I drink even a little bit, how much my hairline's Mm. receding, how hard it is to lose weight, how many worms I have to pull out of my eyes every morning. I just think I'm getting old, Roxy. (laughs) One of those things is not like the other, Mikey. Do you want to think about that? That's a little true. Bit? Losing weight is easy if I just like committed to exercise. You're not wrong. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, like I've had the exact same problem. So I think most people listening to the episode have. It's tough getting old. But uh, the worms thing, you know, everybody knows about that. Huh? So we're we're all expecting it. But I mean, that having that many at your age, Mikey, maybe that's something worth <laughs> at my age. <laughs> your your eye worms. <laughs> Oh, oh boy, here he comes, Roxy, the demon bot. Mikey and Roxy, 
This week you were assigned the 2018 film Hereditary written and directed by Ari Aster and starring Tony Collette, Millie Shapiro, and Gabriel Byrne. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? Uh, I did watch it, yes, Roxy. Did you watch Hereditary? Yes, I indeed did. In fact, I watched it twice. Good, then you may keep your souls. Mm-hmm. For now. Yeah. Oh, he just said it right away. He he felt bad for us. He didn't want us <laughs> struggling. Especially compared to last week. Maybe he uh, feels bad for how he got us with that one. I feel like last week he took like 25 minutes. Like he full on went and ordered himself some chili fries and came back. Like he forgot to say for now. <laughs> Which is sad because he can't even eat them. All he can do is just stare at them and wait for them to decompose, I guess, on that table over there. This poor guy. Roxy, for anybody who has not seen Hereditary and is currently having their ear pressed up against the cellar door, not by themselves, by like some sort of killer or ghost. Uh oh. (laughs) Let's give a quick recap of the plot of the film Hereditary. What do you say? Okay, yep, let's do it. All right, we open on a miniature recreation of a house that transitions into a young man's bedroom. That boy, Peter, is awoken by his father, Steve, who gives him a black suit to wear. Steve pulls together mom, Annie, and his daughter, Charlie, who's sleeping up in her treehouse like a weirdo, into the car to attend the funeral of Annie's mother and Charlie and Peter's grandmother, Ellen. At the funeral, Annie gives a eulogy for her mother that she was clearly not very close with, and she is surprised by the turnout at this funeral. All of Ellen's friends are here, including a creepy man who smiles at Charlie. After seeing an apparition of her mother in her workshop, Annie goes to a grief group, where she lays out her family's history with mental illness. Get this, her father <laughs> starved himself to death as a result of a of psychotic depression. Her mother suffered from disassociative identity disorder and dementia. And her brother hung himself at 16 after accusing his mother of trying to put people inside of him. They said he had schizophrenia. Annie, of course, blames herself for all of this for some reason, (laughs) even if she doesn't exactly understand why. Peter asks his mom if he can go to a party. Annie only agrees if Peter takes his sister Charlie along with him, who, keep in mind, Peter is a high schooler, Charlie about 13. Yeah. Peter goes to this party, smokes weed with a cute girl, while Charlie eats a pecan-filled cake that she is, of course, allergic to. When Charlie's throat begins to close up, Peter throws her in the car and races towards the hospital. And yet, as she struggles to breathe, Charlie pops her head out the window, only for Peter to swerve alongside a pole, which takes Charlie's head clean off. Like, she has no more head. Her head is gone. Peter drives home, and the next day, Annie finds her headless daughter's corpse in the car. She becomes overwhelmed with grief while Peter shuts down emotionally. A harsh dinner scene sees Peter demand his mother just tell him she hates him, while Annie laments that no one can simply accept any responsibility for anything that they have done. Annie makes friends with a woman from the grief group named Joan, who claims to have recently lost both her son and grandson in a drowning incident. Annie reveals to her that she once sleepwalked into Peter's room, drenched each other in paint thinner and lit a match waking up seconds before immolating them both later annie will dream of this moment and we'll see it play out as she and peter scream at each other both struggling to understand what's going on in their family joan invites annie over to her home and holds a seance for her grandson who communicates through a chalkboard their link joan then gives annie an incantation to chant in a language annie does not understand telling her that if she wants to talk to charlie this is the way to do it Annie brings the incantation home and performs the ritual with Steve and Peter, using Charlie's sketchbook as a link. They do summon Charlie, who just for a moment possesses Annie. 
Annie goes to throw Charlie's sketchbook in the fire, but Annie herself lights on fire when she does this. When Annie goes to Jones for help, she again notices the welcome mat Joan has in front of her door. It's a lot like the welcome mat Annie's mother Ellen used to make for those she loved. This leads Annie to dig through Ellen's belongings. There, she finds photographs of her mother with Joan. Annie learns that Joan was a major part of whatever sick group her mother was involved in, and her meeting with Joan was not a coincidence. Annie also finds a book mentioning the demonic god Paimon, who desires a male host. Speaking of that male host, Peter is in school, seeing his reflection stare back at him smugly, and then bashes his own face on a desk. He even sees Joan during recess, shouting from across the street, Peter, be gone! Annie goes up into the attic to find her mother's headless corpse! When Steve comes home with Peter, whose nose is broken following the face smashing, he decides that Annie is the one who dug up her mother's bones. And while Annie begs him to instead burn Charlie's sketchbook with her, Steve decides to instead go to the police. Annie then snatches the sketchbook and throws it into the fire, which causes Steve to light a blaze. Peter wakes up in his own bed and goes downstairs to find his father's smoldering corpse. And gosh darn it, his newly possessed mother Annie is creeping around in all the corners of the ceiling. <laughs> Peter also finds nude people, all who were in attendance at his grandmother's funeral, lurking around his house. I'm starting to think this grandma here was in a bit of a cult. Peter is then chased by his mother and escapes into the attic. There, his mother teleports inside and beheads herself while nude cult members look on. Peter leaps out of the window, but a small beam of light passes over him. Peter now is possessed. Climbing into the treehouse, wherein his sister spends so much time, Peter finds numerous statues of Paimon, as well as numerous members of the cult, nude and bowed low in reverence. Joan, too, is here, and not only does she refer to Peter as Charlie, she also proclaims that Paimon is free of the female host into which he was born, and will now rule in the body of this stout, fresh young man. Hail Paimon! Hail Paimon! <laughs> Roxy, that's hereditary. <laughs> That sure was hereditary, yeah. <laughs> Here's how I want to start this. I was watching okay. this movie. This is the second time I've seen this movie. The first time I saw it was in one of the best summers of my life, Roxy. It was the summer of 2018, and it was the summer of Movie Pass. For $9.99, oh. you could go see every single movie in theaters. And Hereditary was a movie that I never would have saw. Like, I just popped into the theater, and it was playing, and I went and watched it for free. Okay. And I have never been more upset watching a movie than when this little girl's head comes off and then I'm supposed to just sit here and continue watching this film. I nearly left. I was so upset. Yeah, I can understand how people would. Like, I, my experience watching this is that I had heard the internet and people talking about it so much leading up to it that I knew about shit like that happening, which is too bad because I wish I could have had the same experience you did, which was just going in blind mm -hmm. and watching it. Um, Because, yeah, boy, is that a... Uh, is that extremely abrupt, mm -hmm. and then the way that they choose to show it cinematography-wise is extremely well done. What they choose to focus on, what they choose to not focus on. Yeah. We're, like, trapped with the brother close up on his face, everything dawning on him, like, what has happened. He literally can't look in the back. Like, the way the camera shifts where he tries to look for a second, then can't. Yeah. And then it just holds on his face. Th this actor is so good. He's yeah, like is it something Wolf? Alexander Wolf, I think. Alex yeah. Wolf. Uh, he, we get these like close-ups of his face, and he is just like emotionally empty. He is drained of all things. Yeah, and it's then either close-ups like, of his face tear. or like a, a distance so far away when you see the car driving, and then when it goes to the house, it's so pulled back mm -hmm. out. 
And then when you are with him again, it's a close up of his face as like he he's like a kid. He doesn't know how to deal with something insane like that that happened. Mm-hmm. Even an adult wouldn't know how, how. But like a kid is not equipped for that at all. And he doesn't know how else to deal with it. He just shuts down, goes to his bed, does not sleep. His eyes are still open and he just hears his mother Ugh. discovering the body that is just like the most traumatic thing. And so you hear her later describe it, but we never see the body in the car. But mm-hmm. we are then shown a super abrupt shot of the face all mangled and fucked up and like crawling with ants. And it is extremely disturbing and in a way too much. But I think that was also kind of the point of doing it the way that they did. Mm-hmm. It is very viscerally unpleasant. Yeah. No, it's so upsetting. This is what I was talking about. Yeah. Like when I say like I was so upset in the theaters, like th- it, I think it's so good at capturing <laughs> this is listen, this has never happened to me. I have <laughs> never knocked off a little girl's head while driving high. Uh, not an experience I understand. And that's going to be something that comes up a lot more as we continue to talk about this movie. <laughs> but I imagine this is how it would feel. This, again, we've talked about it with like, I know what you did last like summer. grief. This, uh, this yeah, feeling right. that like you have done something so horrible and oh, there's nothing okay. you can do about it. And this drive home and it's just like, he can't process what's happening. He just goes and he lays there. And I think that smash cut to this little girl's head on the road covered in ants is the way that this realization would hit you. Like, he is so emotionally shut down to this that when he finally confronts what he did, that's how it's going to feel. It's going to be that much of a slap in the face. And I think that's a very visceral way through the cinematography choices and, like, the emotional buildup you've been doing to be a death and grief simulator in Mm -hmm. a way. Almost where it's just death can just happen really suddenly and you can just lose someone, you know, even if it's, like, a young person who is, you know, your young little sister who you care about Mm -hmm. it's just suddenly gone then and it's your fault and something like that could happen theoretically it's like anybody like you could lose anybody Mm -hmm. at a moment's notice and not nobody's prepared for that like nobody is and i think the way this movie (laughs) plays with this idea of death like it opens with a funeral for a woman that nobody really cares about i mean charlie likes her but she's like not upset or kind of it's really But, like, the way she cares about her is kind of, like, weird and stuff. And, like, Mm -hmm. the way you learn more about it is, like, yeah, it's even weirder than we thought. Especially because if Charlie cared about the grandma a lot, spent a lot of time with the grandma, her behavior and the way she acts is very strange. And The grandmas or Charlie's? You can't really tell Charlie. So, like, you kind of can't tell if the way Charlie's acting is a product of maybe she is a special needs kid Mm -hmm. or maybe she's just a weird kid. You don't know. They never tell you. It feels like she's either been socialized strangely or she's dealing with something else and is not really being given the right attention, mm-hmm. you know, like medically or behavior wise. And I will say that. The, the way the feelings I got watching this movie a second time, I was not that upset because there are like enough. I don't want to say clues necessarily, but there are enough indicators that when like I know what's going to happen to this girl and then we see Uh it's a scene that happens very early in the movie where she's in school and she's making a little toy statue of Paimon and a bird flies into the window and then she goes outside with a scissors and cuts the bird's head off. I'm like, she's oh, yeah, she's she's a devil girl. (laughs) She's a devil girl. It's good that she gets killed. So my my first time watching this movie, like, I knew some stuff going in, but I felt bad for not liking this kid. I was like, this kid, I do not like this mm-hmm. child for some reason. The way she acts is, yeah, there, there's definitely something unsettling about her. And they're telling telling you that by showing it mm-hmm. and not really, like, saying much about it. And the only reason why you even 
care about her death when it happens is one it just sucks to see a little kid die sure no matter if you're unsettled or think they're unpleasant or what (laughs) and then two you see the way the characters around her Mm -hmm. cared so much about her and their their reaction to it their like care and affection sold it more than the actual child me caring about that kid it's almost like i care more about the grief that everyone was suffering through instead of the kid itself right that makes sense yeah no very much so i've heard um the the writer of the pixar movie inside out talked about this talked about hereditary yeah no (laughs) the writer of inside out talked about how riley was the prize and less of a character and i think there is a version of this movie where they the characters play the grandma's funeral as something that they're all really upset about right like we can kind of understand like oh yeah grandma dies a family would be upset about that and therefore, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, like Annie's reaction is how we know how to feel about it. Exactly. Kind of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We are all being told how to feel like we have. Yeah, we're just thrown into it. That's the opening is just this funeral. We mm-hmm. have no idea what's happening. So and yeah. also importantly, I would say that the, the very first thing we see in this movie is an obituary is just text yeah. on screen and it lists uh, Ellen's family. This is all mm-hmm. uh, like and what's so interesting about this movie is the title didn't really click for me. As to what it was talking about until later. I, I don't know. Here's why I'm, I'm kind of feeling like this is my favorite movie I've ever seen. Okay. A lot of times, and we've done it for uh, however many episodes of this podcast we've made now. My way <laughs> of looking at movies is to dive into it and just be like, what is this really saying? What is this really about? Because it's never just, mm-hmm. um, it's a big distinction I'm learning as I'm like working in professional writers rooms now. The difference between plot and story, right? The plot of yeah. Friday the 13th is Jason is chasing teenagers. The story is about how a mother deals with losing her children to uh, campers who don't care, right? Yeah. The story of this movie is kind of obtuse because it, it is very clearly about hereditary mental illness. <laughs> like, I don't think it is hiding that at all. It is about, like, a specific kind of mental illness that causes, like, dissociative states. They talk all the time throughout this movie about how Annie, uh, like, uh, Annie's husband Steve is worried that Annie is in the midst of a, of a episode. Yeah, because he's, like, very grounded. He's he, he's the most normal person in the entire movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so he's, like, looking at it from more of, oh, yeah, my wife is having nervous breakdown, not my my wife is discovering her mother was in a cult and mm-hmm. uh, all these occult things are happening. Uh-huh. Well, and, and so that's why, like, this movie is so exciting to me and why I might watch it again right after we <laughs> finish talking about this. There's so much going on here. What does the cult represent? I think it very clearly represents... Uh, mental illness this kind of horror that is bestowed upon us by other people in our lives but there's also this element of the mother manipulating things throughout so it's not just this thing that they are afflicted with it is a thing that somebody has chosen to give them which is not how mental illness works but also a way that you could maybe look at if you are angry at a parent for passing down a genetic condition to you you could look at it through that lens it's hard for me to parse out exactly what is being said in this movie because it feels like it's all sort of on the table yeah and i think it's dealing with a lot of different 
things as well. Like for me, the big takeaway was that it's kind of like you were not in control of your life and you never were. Mm -hmm. No matter how in control you feel like you are, all of these characters feel like they're in control of their life. Mm -hmm. And then it's as the movie goes on, you slowly understand that no, none of them were Uh actually every little thing, no matter how ridiculous it sounds like that they somehow contrived things to happen. This was just a cult manipulating you for Mm -hmm. their own purposes, for their own glory, for their own beliefs. They don't care about you. And you never had control over your own life, turns out. Which is horrifying. Which is, again, exactly how it functions when you are born with a mental illness like this. Yeah, because that's something outside of your control. Mm -hmm. You can't do anything about that. You just have that. And Um, you know what? I think I'm ready. We were just talking last week, Roxy, about scenes that I'm ready to be done with in the horror movie genre. Uh, I'm done with scenes where... Somebody says like, uh, boo, I got you just to put in a jump scare. No, no more yes. friends pranking each other with scares. Done with that. Done with uh-huh. hospital scenes. And I think uh-huh. I'm done with classroom scenes where the lesson yes. is objectively stating the theme <laughs> of the film. I think I'm sick of those. Yeah. I think we're done. I, when that came up, I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ. This isn't like every <laughs> horror movie now, yeah. isn't it? Every movie that you have a someone who is of the age to go to school, there's going to be a fucking teacher scene with that. I am also mm-hmm. done with that. Like, if you need a teacher scene to explain what your plot or, like, how intricate this, like, ties into this theme you're thinking of, then you're doing it wrong. I don't think you need that scene. (laughs) And also, even furthermore, I guess this scene, this, this movie does it in a way that's, like, a little better than some, where, like, one of the people who, in his class, I think it might even be the girl he has a crush on, Uh is, like, the main character is so stupid, he doesn't see what's right in front of him about how, like, everything is going to go bad for him and how it's all been telegraphed and stuff. So yeah. they're, like, maybe trying to put a twist on that scene, but still. This is definitely my favorite example of that because they are, uh-huh. they are like, aware of that and they are kind of yeah. playing with it and they're, like, sort of dancing around. And that's not really – I don't think this movie is really about – things that are outside of your control i think it's closer to speaking about diseases and and specifically like the fear of coming unraveled at the idea of like what you see not being real so i don't think it's really about that and it's also like (laughs) the the class as they're talking about this notion of fate and characters who are locked into a system which they can't argue they almost have fun with this idea of like is that more tragic or less tragic (laughs) And the teens, like, in the class sort of have that conversation where it's, I don't know, I just think it's so funny to, like, state this aspect of your movie that you're going to talk about and then just have characters. I don't think that matters that much. I think it's it's a bummer for him, but it's not a big deal. Well, I think it also makes you reflect on, like, your role in the family and what is expected of you, Hmm. which is, again, why I think it's not, I don't think it's as cut and dry to just only be about mental illness and like an allegory for mental illness i think there's a lot going on just in terms of like the family unit Mm -hmm. and like yes you can get something like that passed down to you but it's also what is expected in all of those roles like you think about how annie feels guilt over family members dying when she honestly had nothing to do with it just Mm -hmm. because she is the mother or the sister and feels like oh my role was i was supposed to prevent that or i am saddled with that now because they died and i'm the one who's left so obviously mm-hmm. it has to be my fault if i'm the only one left sure which then is almost like a survivor's guilt too uh-huh. which is just that sucks and she knew that her mother was going to be bad news for if she had a kid like one she didn't even want to have a kid in the first place mm-hmm. i think part of it is because she knew her mother was going to get weird about it and she didn't want her child to be subjected to that mm-hmm. so like her husband did the smart thing and they were just like zero contacts will somehow escape and just leave which, mm-hmm. like, for how pervasive and manipulative this cult is, it's very strange that they were able to avoid the mother 
<laughs> for so long until the second kid was born mm -hmm. either the cult didn't care and were like we'll just let the host grow up a little more it's fine uh -huh. or they can sometimes be easily foiled i don't know which okay i'm going to get into some like annoying semantics or things that didn't jive with me as well mm -hmm. which is what the cult is responsible for. So yeah. the cult is responsible for, like, making everybody be beheaded, correct? Uh-huh, I think so. Because there is, on that- A lot of beheadings going on. Yeah, so the post that the sister hits her head on has, like, a symbol of Paimon on it. Mm -hmm. So they put the post up. So, like, <laughs> yeah, so, like, the post was already there, they put the symbol on there. So they have to know that the son is going to get invited to a party. <laughs> that the mother is going to be so overwhelmed with having to deal with her daughter that she's, like- and also maybe thinks to to a point that it would be good for her to hang out with other kids and socialize because she doesn't normally socialize. Mm -hmm. Even though it's like a high school party that obviously there's going to be beer. I don't know why you would send your 13-year-old there. But anyway, so knew that the son was going to get invited to a party. The mother was going to force him to take the little sister there. They were going to go there. She was going to... The people hosting the teen drinking party were for some reason going to make a giant walnut cake while they're there and then <laughs> serve it to people. She's going to eat it and get sick. Then they're going to have to drive down that road at that specific time of night. So they put like a dead carcass on the side of the road. <laughs> so the kid is going to swerve and he swerves right and not left. Because if he had swerved left, nothing would have happened. But he swerved right and her head gets knocked off and she dies. And mm -hmm. so like Paimon is no longer in the daughter who was the original host. He's right. going to be like free to then possess the son fully, I guess. Mm -hmm. So they had to have had all those things happen somehow for their plan to work. How how does that make any sense? Oh, well, here's the thing. I think the, <laughs> the, the thing that like works for me about this movie is that the cult has like some magic going on. And I I dig Okay, that. so it's just, it, it's a situation where you think yeah. they can just be like magic did it. Well, I, I mean, we see it later in like the seance scenes. Like they have access to some sort of magic to but, like But so is that stuff. Paimon moving it? Is it Paimon doing it or it's just okay. like ambient magic? I think that's where some some of it breaks down when I start thinking about it too long. And that's something I noticed the second time watching it. Because the first time you're just kind of experiencing it. And mm -hmm. the second time I'm like looking for clues or looking to see what happened where, you know, kind of like deconstructing it because there's all these little Easter eggs and things that they're referencing to and things that were specifically put in there, you know, like by the director with intentionality. So mm -hmm. it was like, okay, I'll pick up on some of that stuff then and that's so interesting i never like i am somebody who like is really rigid about needing my stories to have rules and be clear about what the rules are and yeah i don't know i never questioned it throughout this entire movie i was just like oh yeah really? they're, they're they're magic they have magic because <laughs> like they stuff, with the stuff. stuff with paimon himself didn't make sense because he can just possess anyone whenever he wants is what it feels like so why does he really need a host even because he can just do whatever because he's like in Charlie for a really long time, but Charlie dying doesn't make him like lose his foothold in our realm and our plane. He's still mm -hmm. kicking around. He possesses the mother briefly for some reason, somehow, mm -hmm. really easily. We don't know why, if maybe the mother set things up. And then like when he was in the classroom, he possessed uh, the son anyway. Mm -hmm. But then like what? I guess he was maybe fighting back with his psyche a bit because he was still right. in there. He needs to be like completely emptied. That's what I was getting. And that's what I get like from Joan being across the street when he's at recess. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Shouting, like Peter, get she's out. like trying to exercise yeah. Peter's soul so that Paimon can take it. When I look at it through the lens of a family dealing with 
mental illness and how much like how much you are in or out of it because like when he finally gets possessed for real it's after he jumps out of the window i guess like after Mm -hmm. he sees his mother die he feels like he doesn't have anything left and maybe that means his soul left so then paimon could take him over well so that's why like having to worry about him trying to take control back i guess that's why it so clearly tracks to me about this idea of like succumbing to your psychotic episodes because Mm -hmm. annie has this moment where Steve tells her, he's like, nope, I'm done with this. I'm going to the police. And in the movie, he burns up. But what is actually going on within the family structure is he is removing himself from it, right? That's another thing. Oh, man, you're making me think about the fireplace burning thing. I don't get that either. (laughs) So when Annie (laughs) put the notebook in there, her arm started burning because she was connected to it. Uh So it's like, okay, I can buy that. But then later they make it so that's not how the mechanics of it work. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Because then later when she goes to throw it in there, then Steve lights on fire instead of her. And it makes no sense. And then that's when Paimon also possesses her somehow. So. Yeah. It it all tracks to me 100% thematically. Like, I don't think this is a movie that is concerned with or dealing with mechanics. I think it is a movie that is concerned with thematics. I wish they were more vague about it then. Because when I start looking into it and like thinking too hard about it. That's why I think first watch felt very different than the second watch because mm-hmm. of that. And that's why, like, I don't always watch these movies when we do this weekly, like, twice. But I watched uh-huh. this movie twice, even though, man, like we said before, sometimes it feels like a grief simulator. And it can feel <laughs> not great to watch the movie. But I think that is kind of the point in a way because it is trying to elicit those feelings out of you, which is successful in doing that. So, like, I was not geared up like expecting <laughs> yeah i really want to watch this movie twice in a Dude, row i was i remember the first time seeing it being amazed that like i felt so bad when the little girl died but by the time we got to the family seance scene it's so funny i think that scene is hilarious there's parts of it like <laughs> there's, there's there was it a line where be? the dad says the dad says like what language even is that? <laughs> what you like? Yeah, yeah. Starts to curse. It's just like this movie does that a couple of times where there's just weird little turns of phrase that you can people have when like she yells at her son. She's like, "You just have that fucking face on your face," and it's so like, yeah. yes, I know people who talk like that. It's so funny to me. Well, I think especially when she's like so angry, it is hard to articulate mm-hmm. correctly when you are angry. So that yeah. makes total sense. That yeah, she's just yelling and. <laughs> letting her emotions flow out, you're not going to be that articulate when you're describing it. (laughs) So it sounds like you're not on board with the movie's mechanical iterations, like, because it does, you're right, it's inconsistent. Yeah, and I feel like so so much of it, then you can just be like, oh, there's a plot hole or something, like, oh, just the cult did it. Whereas if we look at, I texted you about this, I can't remember if we said it already, but it feels very similar to Rosemary's Baby. In a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. And Rosemary's Baby. This is Rosemary's Baby, too. Yeah. Rosemary's Baby made perfect sense within its own confines for, Mm -hmm. like, the things that happen. Like, oh, you get the glove that belonged to someone, you can put a curse on them. That tracks. You know, things like that. Where, as, like, this movie feels like, yeah, there's a lot more going on that can just be kind of like, yeah, I guess the cult did it, because how else would that make sense? I would (laughs) argue that that's, that sure seems to me to be intentional, just in the sense that it's so disorienting. And when you are talking about a movie that is, again, very clearly about, like, dissociative disorder and whether or not you're in an episode or not, I love that the movie, like, pulls me into that feeling. And I I track everything that's happening through this thematic lens, and it all feels very clear and clean and precise to me in a way that none of the mechanics 
working differently, like the way the the book works. Like the mom like, also teleports too. When it's towards the climax of the movie, the son goes upstairs, traps himself in the attic because it's the only way he can go mm-hmm. to to avoid his mother. Which, by the way, when the mother is like first possessed and the kid wakes up and she's just in the background <laughs> in the on corner. the ceiling, and then she like swims away in the she air afterwards. The air. It's so funny. <laughs> It's just like out of frame. Like even the first time I saw that, I was not scared by it because it was just so funny. <laughs> but anyway, like so he closes the door. The mom like teleports into the attic and is cutting off her own head with a wire mm-hmm. or something somehow. And how? Okay, so teleportation can work too. Sure, <laughs> it's just magic. Okay, I guess. And also, like all of the naked people. Oh, the naked the people, people are the like, best. Again, in Rosemary's Baby, there were naked old weirdos from the cults in, like, a orgy scene. It made sense. These are just people, like, standing around the house naked for some reason, just watching him. I'm so excited to see. It just felt like it was a very shock factor moment. I was like, eh, okay, great, naked people, naked old people, very scary, got it. (laughs) (laughs) But it is very funny when, again, unintentional comedy, when, like, he... The, the son watches his mother cut off her own head and then looks to the side and sees the naked people watching him and then is like, Ugh! and then crashes out the window. <laughs> and it feels like such a comical moment, especially because there's like a thud afterwards and yeah. then he's not dead, even though he fell like two stories. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that's what I love about this movie. It's just there's so many things that would be huge moments in like on their own, like the whole movie built yeah. to her finding her mother's corpse up in the attic. Would yeah. be one thing. But that is just like Absolutely glossed horrifying. over because we've got to get to the possession and we've got to get to the nude old people and we've got to get to the Paimon yeah. statue up Well, in the it also, it reinforces like the husband. So like they're keeping secrets from each other too. So like the husband does not tell the mom that her old mom who died, her body's missing. It mm-hmm. was desecrated. Somebody absconded abscond- with her body. He's mm-hmm. like, I won't tell my wife. That'll just make things harder on her. And then him not telling her it made things worse <laughs> but then she's constantly saying when she goes to this grief counseling thing instead of telling her husband that she is i don't know why she doesn't maybe just because keeping secrets or she thinks that maybe he would be offended well, if, she feels ashamed uh, oh yeah maybe it is the shame thing yeah she, or that would put more pressure on her family if they know she needs grief counseling but she's oh i'm going to see a movie when it's like no she's going to grief counseling so like when that body is found upstairs. It makes so many like dominoes tip over where the husband's, oh, she's going crazy. She had to have put it up there because mm-hmm. like I didn't tell her about it either. And now it's here. And then oh, she's talking clear, about some like did grief that. group. What? She did do that. Oh, the yeah. cult didn't do it. I no. just assume the cult did it. Here's the thing. Honestly. I, don't, I think in terms of like through the when lens. When did she have the time to do it? To the th- they didn't show anything to indicate it though. I just assume cult stuff because they didn't show anything with the mom doing it. I think the way to look at this movie is that there is no cult. Just sleepwalk though. There is no cult. Oh. This is all mental illness. This is all dissociative disorder. This is all how does this family unit deal with a mother who has gotten a genetic disease from her family and has now passed it on to her two younger kids. One of the kids has died from it. One of the kids is is dealing with it. The father is doing his best to manage it. And then at the end decides, there's nothing more I can do here. I got to bounce. And when he does, he is metaphorically emoliated from the family. He is gone. He bounces. Yeah, like that's, that again, like the whole domino tipping thing. Like that's when he is just, he the occult stuff doesn't even factor into him at all. He's just my wife's just lost mm-hmm. it, and like I've 
been very patient with her and trying to be accommodating for everything, but she literally moved a corpse into the attic right. and is now saying all this crazy stuff about how we have to burn a book and how I have to trust her. To I kind of thought it was like sort of beautiful <laughs> that he even considered it. Like that because he, he doesn't yeah. immediately go like, no, like he well, takes yeah, the book and he he's loves like her. thinking about it. I love that. And that's why it's so hard too, because you see him make that choice. Mm-hmm. You see what he's put up with the whole time. And like we, the viewer know about all the crazy cult stuff and every perspective of the different family members, but he only has his own perspective and is viewing it from a more realistic lens. So yeah, of course you would think that. And of course you don't want to like abandon your family member, mm-hmm. but you have to be like, I am actually enabling her bad behavior. Right. Like I thought I was being supportive and helpful, but I have to confront the fact that my help and support that I thought I was giving has actually maybe been detrimental because mm-hmm. you want to help people. You-, you want the people close to you to feel good, but sometimes reinforcing things that they are doing or saying isn't really the right way to help them. And it's really hard to know. Yeah. Uh, especially like with a spouse, especially with mm. a spouse going through this much grief and tragedy, which again, when she lists out the things that happened to her family members right. at that grief thing, <laughs> that's another moment where I was almost like, is this supposed to be funny? The thing she said was so <laughs> horrible, but like the delivery yeah. and then the reaction to everyone in the group, like nobody knows what to say because the stuff she just said is just like, absolutely fuck. insane. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, do you want a donut? <laughs> like, what can we do for this lady? <laughs> yeah. But it's like the tragedy of this movie is that there's nothing that can be done. That's why, like, I love the teleportation moment. This kid is seeing his mother descend into the deepest but depths like- of her delusion. And then it's okay. like, I think I can run from this. And I can't. I am seeing my mother lose herself to this thing that I am about to lose myself to. Like, that's such a horrifying idea. And that is how, like, having these kind of disorders feels well i think that's another reason why what i don't like about it if that is indeed what it's trying to say that that's like saying if you have some sort of mental illness you're just done and you can't deal with it you can't pull yourself out of it which i think feels bad to get that sort of message especially for anybody struggling with anything just being like oh yeah that's just your life forever you can't actually overcome that mm-hmm. and at the end too when Paimon or charlie kind of unclear because He's supposed yeah, to be possessed by Paimon, but the grandma says Charlie. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it's... She says, like, Charlie, them you're Paimon now. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if it's, like, both of them are two of them. There's two souls in the brother's body or what. Not exactly clear, especially because the look... The, the last frame of this movie is zooming in on the son's face as he just looks more and more, like, confused or <laughs> upset, even though it's supposed to be, like... You should be jazzed about it, right? This is what you wanted, Paimon? <laughs> yeah. This is what you wanted, Charlie? Didn't you want to become, like, reincarnated on Earth and able to rule over men and be, like, an evil demon god? Uh-huh. King of hell? Like, why do you look so confused about it? Yeah. The son's spirit ain't there anymore. That's not him. <laughs> <laughs> you even got a crown. I mean, I think it's, you got- <laughs> it's probably, like, how Christ feels, right? Like, you are imbued with this sense of destiny, but you're still, like, a person who was born, and you're just like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, Jesus didn't know. Well, well, what I'm saying is, it's just Paimon. It's just Paimon That's the thing. I don't think Paimon... I think Paimon knew what Charlie knew. I think Paimon was like, oh, I'm a little kid. Because, like, he was in Charlie for... I don't know if it was her entire life or what. They're they're very unclear about how he was inhabiting her in what way. And then there was, like, the clicking noise that Charlie made. So it's like, (gasps) is that an indicator? Yeah, we haven't even talked about the clicking noise, which... She's running around. She's going... Yeah, she just would keep doing that. But so... 
at the beginning, you're like, this is kind of an annoying little tick, but whatever. It's probably how she's coping or it's just something she does. And then later they make that like horrifying because she's dead. And then characters are hearing that click. And uh-huh. It's like, what does that mean? Yeah. Is her ghost here? Is that the thing that Paimon does? Freaking so that Paimon's Paimon tick. is here? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows. That's what Paimon's all um, about. He loves clicking. Which is and very interesting. The I think that was, that is a very cool and effective way how they turn something like that into something so sinister, mm-hmm. which is, I don't think I've seen anything really do that. Or if I have, I cannot recall. <laughs> so good. Ugh. <laughs> Roxy, it's my favorite movie I've ever seen. Are, are you are you sure as next week is going to change should be whatever we're watching? It might next. be. I mean, listen, there's a non-zero chance. Just like no other movie activates me like this. It just feels like there's so many. Yeah, like, it gets a reaction out of you. And that's what you like. Every, about it, right? Everything I watched, like as I was watching it again, this is the second time I've ever seen it, you know, since in two years. It's just like I just couldn't believe how many cool, fun things were happening. I was like, oh, yeah. We get a fucking seance scene where Joan's going to talk to her grandson. Then we get another seance scene where fucking dad's freaking out. It's so funny. And then we get a fucking uh, nude people. <laughs> like Everything that happens is so... It, it's I don't pretty know. wild. To me, it's and just like such too- a joyful movie. It's so joyfully weird. And everything that happens is like silly but scary. It's, it's no other movie. I don't think it's silly enough. Saying it's, I mean, there are like moments here and there, and apparently in the original script, there's more humor in it that they cut out, which I'm glad that they did. But it feels like it's taking itself so seriously, and like the actors do such a good job. Like we haven't really touched a ton on this, but like every actor in this movie oh, does an absolutely wonderful job, great. especially Tony Collette. Tony Collette is so fucking good. The son. Alexander Wolf. Alexander Wolf. I want to say. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did extremely, extremely well. Extremely well acted. Very good performances that They're were so super good. intense. And then like the set design, all of like the cinematography, all of that is absolutely beautiful and amazingly done. Amazingly shot. Amazingly constructed. The little miniatures are like a delight to look at. Ugh. Like I'm someone who loves that kind of stuff. The miniatures. They're so good. And it's it's such a bummer when like she destroys them all at the end where it's like, man, I want to see the art gallery, even though I knew we weren't going to get <laughs> to see the art gallery with all of them. I really want to see all those. Because <laughs> she's like constructing things from her life, from her past, from her present. Mm-hmm. She's literally making a scene of the crash. And the husband is like, that's really fucked up. And if you're gonna do that you have to make sure our son doesn't see it because he's gonna be even more fucked up by it and she's just no it's just like an objective view of the crash there's nothing (laughs) wrong with it she's not even thinking at all about how far gone she is kind of and how it will affect other people and meanwhile the husband is you you can't (laughs) if you if you need to work through stuff to do it okay but don't do it right here maybe move it or cover it up or something It's so funny that she's just like, yeah, this is just a normal way to process this. Yeah, it's just an objective view of the crash. Here's my daughter's lifeless body and her head rolled across the ground. I'm literally painting the blood on the pavement as you walk in. That's why I think this movie is so funny. Like, everything that happens like that, the actors all play it so straight. And the things that are happening are so ludicrous that it's just like, it's yeah, it's like exactly how to do a funny movie. Nobody's like looking in the camera. It's not fucking Will Ferrell going like, oh, I'm a big silly man. It's just like real people. And they're in the most fucked up, insane situation that anybody's ever been in. And they're just continuing to do their best. It's why the dad is so funny. The dad is just like, God, I guess we're I guess we're doing a seance. All right. Like he is just behaving like the most normal man. And he just like can't (laughs) believe what is happening to him. It's so funny. He's funny. It's the funny. This is the funniest movie I've ever seen. Full stop. (laughs) 
That's just where I'm at. This is my favorite funny movie. <laughs> Your favorite funny movie. No longer a horror movie. Hereditary. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, Fables I was, comedy movie. Exalted comedy movie. I was thinking, like, is this my favorite horror movie of all time? And it's and that was tricky because I've got a lot of horror movies that I love. The uh-huh. answer is it's my favorite comedy. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, so good. All right. <laughs> Roxy, we talked about the big idea of this movie for a long time. And what what I wrote down here is that it's just got too many things. It's it's, it's full of everything. I mean, yeah, grief, we, I didn't even talk blame. about how the fact that the cult is, yeah, they're sacrificing all these people, this family bloodline just to get shit they want. We didn't even touch on that. Yeah. Either. Selfish like you comment people. on humanity. There's so many things happening. So, yeah. It's so rich. <laughs> <sighs> so uh, I have a question. Okay, for ask you me a question specifically. Roxy. Okay, so I have a specific question for you, mm-hmm. which would be: if you could make a miniature from your life, any time in your life, mm-hmm. what would it be? It would be okay. And so this is wild because I forgot about this until I just rewatched this movie. Okay. My grandma used to make miniatures of Wait, her bakery. Really? Yes. Oh my god! What? That's so cool. Because my grandparents owned bakeries, and it was just like one of those things that, like, I went over to her house, and she uh-huh. just had this like room full of miniature bakeries that she had made. Whoa! And, and just, she like, just kept like iterating on the same shop, or like making different. I think designs, she was making or... different ones. She was making like new okay. ones, and she was like competing. She like won a bunch of awards for them, and I just thought Whoa, that was like so a normal cool. thing. And now I'm like, oh no, that's the coolest, weirdest thing that I yeah. that my grandma ever did. So I would love to make a miniature of my grandma's guest bedroom that was full of miniatures. Oh my god, that would be delightful. I want to see that, Mikey. That's so cool. (laughs) What about you? What would you make a miniature of? Uh, So I was basically thinking about like a childhood home when I was eight. For five years of my childhood, my family lived in Australia quite randomly. Right. So there was a childhood house we had there that was like very unique, had our first little tree fort that was only like two feet above the ground, (laughs) like (laughs) this funny tree. I had my first pet, which was a rabbit there. Mm. It was close enough to like my school where I could walk to it. I have so many memories of that place, but they're all like vague fuzzy childhood memories Mm -hmm. so i would love to like make a miniature of like that house and the yard surrounding it it's kind of like it had this u-shaped yard around it too that sort of surrounded the house which was really neat Mm. but it would be really cool to like experience that childhood place you know if i could see one-to-one like oh yeah it actually looked like that as opposed to like my fuzzy kid memory remembering right you probably remember the refrigerator being 90 feet tall because you saw it as a little kid and then if you actually went back to that home you would tower over the refrigerator because yeah, Roxy, you're I'm six sure foot I five. I don't know if that's been made clear. <laughs> yeah, like that's something a lot of people don't know about me, especially because like when I'm on Twitch, I'm like sitting in a chair, so right. you can't really tell how tall you're I like, am, but I'm really six five. You're like upsettingly tall. Yeah, I mean, some might say maybe inhumanly tall. You're like the tall guy from It Follows. Like, you have to duck to get into doors. I mean, I would have tried for the NBA if I liked sports so much. That's what people kept telling me because I'm so tall. They're like, oh, hey, you work, you uh, play in the NBA. Hey, sister, you got to get into the NBA. Uh, Extra, extra. (laughs) Yeah, they got the old-timey accents when they do it, too. It's uh, quite annoying. Horrifying. People on the street keep telling me that. Roxy. On a scale from one to nine, because, of course, the number 10 does not exist in the scary basement, how likely do you think the events of the film Hereditary are to happen in real life? I would say <laughs> eight out of nine. Wow. Because, like, I thought this was going to be the one that we split on, but go ahead. What do you what do you say? Because, like, for instance, we got the cult sacrificing others for power because they don't give a shit. That's definitely mm-hmm. what people do, sacrificing other people for power or wealth or whatnot. We've got a mental illness, which is carrying through families, which is unavoidable if that's something you're experiencing. 
you can always change your situation by trying to deal with it in different ways. But like that happening, getting that, mm -hmm. that's something you can't avoid if that's just your genetics. But I'm knocking off a point so it's not 9 out of 9 because this is all like a demon doing it. And <laughs> I, <laughs> You're right. I'm not going to give the demon that much credit. He didn't even make sense when he was doing those things. That's true. What about you, Mikey? I said 9. I said full on 9. Oh, all right. Okay. Because I read this movie almost entirely as a manifestation of whatever these severe episodes are. DID and schizophrenia, those are real things that happen to people. And mm -hmm. I don't know how that manifests. I don't know what that looks like. And just the the uh, evocation of those feelings that it would that would come from like and, you know, I I haven't talked about this. I don't know if I've ever even told you this. My oh. biological dad does have schizophrenia. And oh. I don't know if you've ever told me this before. So it's like a fear I've grown up with that I have inherited this disease, right? And okay. I think I'm pretty much out of the woods. I'm sorry, Mikey. And I mean, it's oh, not oh yeah. A big Doesn't deal. it like usually like when you're in your early 20s, it's kind of like if it's going to manifest. 25 right? was the age I had always heard, and so I was like kind of okay. counting down, Jesus. <laughs> counting down to that age. Jesus. And that's the fear that like there's nothing you can do; it's just going to sweep over you. And so just like watching this movie and like tapping into those feelings that I remember so yeah, clearly. Yeah, that's such a much more visceral reaction than, like, I could ever have to Yeah. Jeez. And so, like, reading that movie is just, like, this is all just, once you descend into episodes, this is the kind of shit you see. You see cults. You see, like, oh, it's not just, like, my daughter died in an accident. It's my daughter died in a cult situation. Like, yeah, that's scary. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I just think that it's, uh, however that kind of stuff manifests, could be like this. I don't know. Could be, could be cult manifestations i'm not in charge yeah <laughs> i'm not in charge of how people's not in charge of how cults work and how manifestations <laughs> work roxy last week i thought we you were mikey bet. what have i been paying you for mikey i thought you were in charge are you paying me no i'm not <laughs> well think about it i just want to see if you could give me a refund <laughs> yeah mikey i've been paying you for years give me a refund you okay. said you were in charge of that you're not uh i invented you four hundred dollars <laughs> okay uh roxy last week we made a bet for hereditary sure how many total kills would there be in this movie that is ultimately about a very sad thing uh, yeah <laughs> uh i said four kills how many did you say i said five roxy the answer was five wow okay here they are all right did the five people okay. who died the grandma uh-huh charlie uh-huh the dad uh-huh the mom mm -hmm. and the bird from the very beginning of the movie <laughs> okay the bird cat the bird slid me under to uh victory that the bird time is what did it for you we did not say human kill count we said <laughs> that's kill count. true we did not and there was a dog in this movie that didn't die and hey i i lost because of it yeah i guess so hey sorry <laughs> so currently hey, the last standings week, though you've been ga gaining a lot of ground mikey so yeah like the last four or five didn't you win i'm ge i'm getting there i'm climbing back up yeah. the, the total score right now is 14 roxy 10 mikey one tie okay yeah, like I was practically lapping you at one point, so that's good. We're mm -hmm. getting closer to being even. And again, I think if that's good, we don't know what it means. It could be bad. <laughs> it could be whoever wins the most bets gets uh, drawn and quartered. I don't know. Yeah, we honestly don't know. Demon bot someday will let us know. Uh, until that time, we're just gonna have eternal anxiety, and I think that's what he wants. <laughs> yeah, and uh, speaking of uh, the demon bot and what he wants, here he comes. To give us some more homework. Oh no. Congratulations, you have successfully reviewed Hereditary. Your souls are safe for another week. 
For next week, you must watch the 2010 Norwegian found footage film Troll Hunter written and directed by Andre Ovredal and starring Otto Jespersen, Glenn Tosterud, and Johanna Mork. So, okay, Roxy, we got to find and watch Troll Hunter. It's a 2010 Norwegian movie, correct? Yeah, it's like a found footage movie, too. I don't know if we've done a found footage movie yet. Did we do? We haven't done Cloverfield or Blair Witch or anything? Yeah, somehow. We need to do that soon. Maybe this is our, our wake-up call for that. Okay. And also, it's a Norwegian horror movie, so... I love Norway. Heck yeah. I know you, zero I facts about being... it. I was going to do my, like, oh, yeah, Canada, they have maple syrup and hockey. <laughs> like, I was going to do that with Norway. I know zero things about Norway. Well, you're going to learn a lot more about Norway from Troll Hunter, because I have seen this before, but it's been a while, and I remember it being oh, quite fun. <laughs> quite a ride. <laughs> All right, let's make a bet for next week, then. Okay, yeah, so how about the bet for next week will be, how many different types of trolls do we see? Love it. Okay, so Troll Hunter, there's got to be at least two different types. I'm going to say three. Okay, uh, I will just dub- double up on that and say six. <laughs> Hefty bet. The bet's locked in. All right. The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. Whoever is closest to the number of trolls in the film Troll Hunter shall be declared the winner. The winner will receive this lovely statue that I promise has no sinister origins involving sunlight. Roxy, we've been talking a lot about sca- a lot of scary things, a lot of sad things this episode also. <laughs> a lot of grief. <laughs> Dramatic things. <laughs> Let's wrap up with something that's making us happy. What's making you feel sunshine in your very bones? Uh, the thing that's making me happy is... <laughs> I know I've talked about this before. I'm going to make you listen to me talk about it again. But mm-hmm. I've been playing Final Fantasy XIV. I've become oh. obsessed with it. It's like one of my new favorite games of all time now. I love how much you love Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> Thank you. I'm having such a great time just diving into it. It's It's been an absolute delight. And so I made a free company, which is essentially like a guild in any other uh, MMO. Mm-hmm. And my buddy Zade, like his entire household just moved to our server to join our free company. So a bunch of new friends hanging out That's to go best. do adventures with every week. And like, since I'm a little further than them, I can actually like help them with stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I feel like so much of the game so far has just been me being like, what What do I do? Oh, that's cool. But I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Student becomes so a it- teacher. A little bit, a little wow. bit. I don't want to, like, say I'm an expert by any means, but certain, like, bosses will have different mechanics, kind of like puzzles and stuff, which is, like, I think the only part of the game you would enjoy, <laughs> trying to, like, figure out what the puzzle for this fight is and how you make it work. So it's cool. New- well, let me ask you this, Roxy. Do a lot of these characters have uh, big spiky hair? Uh, Not as many of the NPCs that you interact with as you can think. Your main character, you can give them spiky hair if you want, Ooh, okay. but you can well, also make them completely bald if you want. I'm in. <laughs> I only play as bald because characters of the now. the bald or the spiky hair? The bald. Sure I, I will oh, okay. only play as bald characters for the rest of my life. Yeah, you could be bald with a beard, Mikey. And I usually play as a woman when I play video games that let you create your own character. So I'm going to be a bald woman. You could do that. Yeah. I don't know if the beer, beard is across genders, but for mm. sure, bald must be. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Join my free company, Mikey. Have a great time. Oh, I almost for sure won't do that. <laughs> It makes me so sad. (laughs) Anyway, what's making you happy this week, Mikey? Well, Roxy, what's making me happy is uh, my friend's kid. Oh, so I have a child or no, uh, she's like four years old. A friend of mine, I've been going over on Sundays to watch football with him and nice his little kids running around and uh, she's just like super smart and fun. And she's like my buddy. She like likes me. 
Uh, we were oh, watch- you're like Cool Uncle Mikey. You get to be like the Cool I, Uncle. That's exactly what they call me. Wait, is it really? Yeah. We were <laughs> watching... Amazing. Not Cool Uncle Mikey. That would be fucked up. <laughs> Why would that I be fucked up? I just roll in with sunglasses like, hey, it's Cool Uncle Mikey. You want to smoke early? And then that's I, more like badass Uncle Mikey. You can be cool without point. encouraging children to smoke. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Square. Uh, okay, fine. We're uh we're like watching TV outside. We're still being very like COVID conscious. And so uh-huh. that's good. My friend said to his daughter, he's like, hey, uh, come inside. And she's like, no, I want to stay outside with Uncle Mikey. And it was just very sweet. Oh, that's so cute. Uh, so that's making me happy. <laughs> Gotta get that kid something really great for their birthday, and you will then forever be immortalized. I'm gonna get her the Scream box set. Um, I don't... (laughs) Is she a big Scream fan? She's gonna be. Okay, I guess so. (laughs) All right, then. I'll keep Hereditary from her until she's Yeah, maybe wait till she's a little bit older. When she's like 11, we're gonna have a great time watching Hereditary. Wait till she's 13. (laughs) Same age as Charlie. (laughs) There you go. Extra trauma. Extra childhood trauma. She'll like it. (laughs) <laughs> Roxy, each week the demon bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door and keep us from escaping, and yet each week we still escape. It's very stupid. This week, hey, I don't I'm, care. I'm proud of us, Mikey. You can call it stupid. I'm proud of us. Yeah, no, Although we're good. We're good at this, care, but I'm so. I'm ending it tonight, Roxy. I don't care Wait, who what? the guardsman of the basement is because this week I'm blowing up everything. I'm gonna blow up the entire scary basement because what I brought to defend us from the guardsman of the basement is this big missile. Mikey, are you forgetting like two years ago? Because we've been here for a long time. Are you forgetting the last time we tried to blow this up? Demon Bot foiled us real quick. This better go better than last time. It will. I I checked and this missile is specifically Uh an anti-demon ballistic. Okay, but what about all of like the mummies and the ghosts and the werewolves and the swamp things down here? We're going to blow them up. We're just going to kill the demons only? Okay, you sure they're going to be killed by the demons? We're going to kill all of them. (laughs) You ready? Okay. Here we go. I'm launching. Uh, I need to get out of here first. Yeah, yeah. Let's stand on the stairs. Okay. Yeah, I can chuck okay. it, huck it down here. Here we go. Now I'm going to press the button. No. Roxy. It. I can't see. There's too much dust. What happened? It didn't destroy the scary basement. What did it do? It only destroyed the library in the scary basement. Like the cursed library or the normal library? The normal library. Oh, Mikey. The one with all the good books. God damn it. I was like renting manga for free down there. So I wouldn't have to pay the for it. The only good part of the scary basement was that we had a cool library that had a lot of manga. And now it's gone. It's gone. Okay, no. well, I can't even look at you. I'm going to leave you here with what you've done. I'm just going. There was time now. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>